watches. It's the 10th annual Watchers in the Fourth Dimension Season Roundup with special guests Ernest Borgnine, comedian Phyllis Diller, the music of Sonny and Cher, and of course the Watchers themselves, Anthony, Julie, Riley, and Don. And now your host, Anthony. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And we have come to the end of another season, which means that it's time for our Season 10 Retrospective, when we'll look back on the season with our usual blend of award-style categories, quantitative measures, and questions from our friends from social media. But before we get into that, I'm going to take a quick look at the mail. It's been a while since we last recorded. I went travelling, I got COVID, Riley went travelling, so it's been about six weeks-ish. So we've got quite the bumper amount this episode. First up, some mail looking back at Frontier in Space. We'll start with our old friend Beardo Beatnik, who responded directly to the mail that was read out in that episode, stating, To answer your question at the top of the episode, Julie, yes. Yes, we do all like you better. <laughs> Yay! I know. I don't know if Beardo speaks for everyone. Let us know. <laughs> Beardo also gave us a glorious little piece of trivia, reminding us that the actor who played the newscaster in Frontier in Space would eventually return to the show in the David Tennant era's Blink, playing the older version of Billy Shipman. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Love that. We have some extreme passion for this serial. Nathan Laws posted a little bit of an essay on Facebook. Far too much for us to include all of it here if we're actually going to get through all of the mail and do our season retrospective. But to give a couple of highlights, here are some of the things Nathan said. Man, you guys are vicious. This is definitely my favorite Pertwee story and one of my contenders for best Doctor Who story of all time. I think you're trolling us, Nathan. <laughs> I find the argument that this story needed to have more in some way to be a strange argument. How is averting a galactic war not a good plot? It takes you through several different cultures and makes you feel as if they live and breathe beyond the confines of the BBC sets. If it's more about the menace to our heroes than the overall galactic threat, then who cares? We certainly cut historicals some slack for that because we know the Doctrine Code can't change major historical events. Here, at least, he does influence events on a galactic scale, but we still complain that not enough is happening. Uh, mm, can I stop right there for a second? Yes. One of the things I find interesting is he said that if it's not worth the galactic threat versus what's happening to your characters, that's not how I view Doctor Who. I am actually not the biggest fan when it's the galactic threat. So all of those big season ending global catastrophes, it's a new who like, no, I don't want that. I want to know what happens to the characters. So I got really bored with the back and forth of just being in different jail cells. It wasn't a tour of different cultures. It was just a tour of different prisons. <laughs> and I was going to say, when we talked about it, we all appreciated the world building. We all appreciated the design and the direction. But the fact that it was capture, escape, capture, escape, capture, escape for something like 14 times over the course of six episodes, it just got tedious. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot more enjoyable if the actual underlying plot and how our characters are impacted by this big galactic threat, you know, if they'd changed that, it could have been something better for us. Yeah. But as far as the world building and backstory and all that, it's incredible. It's really good. I think I would like to read the novelization of it. It's one of those stories that I would actually like to see a sequel to it set in that same era just to bring back the Draconians and all that kind of stuff. It just, for me personally, failed on what our actual characters are doing. 
And I don't think we rated it that badly, did we? It averaged out to 5.25. Oh, yeah, that, that probably is lower than it deserves, but who cares? It's a number. Exactly. <laughs> On the same topic, Alan Silo also chimed in and he said, I've never actually considered this the worst Pertwee story of all, mostly because there is so much good about it. Primarily, as you all said, thank you, Alan. The world building is excellent and on a level that we don't always get in Doctor Who. The Draconians are my favourite part, we non-humans. Yes, even more so than the Sea Devils. Joe is well written with some clear and deliberate character arc moments. The Doctor-Joe relationship is joyous and the Earth President is one of my favourite part, we era characters after Miss Hawthorne, of course. So I'll be a little more lenient than the Watchers and give it 7 out of 10 high collars while still recognising that those very good elements should have had a more engaging story built around them. Which I think is what we were saying. And in the last comment we got on Frontier in Space, Kieran James Evans states, A repetitive plot and a distinct lack of ending. Still, I like it. A 6 out of 10 is probably fair though. An easy cut down to four parts, but lots of interesting world building. Shame really for Roger's last performance. R.I.P. Roger. Moving on to Planet of the Daleks, we have a nice mix of positive and negative voices on this one. We'll start with the more positive and work our way down. (laughs) And we will start here with our friend the Whovian gal, who said, I've disagreed with the group for a lot of the Pertwee era, but I'm totally with you on this one. My love of 60s Who throwbacks manages to overcome my dislike of Terry Nation for this one story. (laughs) (laughs) Naomi, respect. J.M. Casey is similarly positive, saying, Terry Nation's greatest hits, it is sure that. But it was my first exposure to all of those tropes. I think it was only the second Dalek serial I watched, the first one being from the Davison era, and I absolutely loved it. It felt big and epic and dangerous and exciting. I was really young then, though, and didn't realize it was mostly recycling tropes from the 1960s stories that Nation had written himself. (laughs) Fair. I think it's a lot easier to forgive that if it's your first time seeing any of it. Although it was really fun for us going, ooh, that's from Dalek Invasion of Earth, that's from DMP, that's from the Daleks. That was fun. And our old friend, the excellently named Astrozon Danglebert Zebulon, we love that name, is also rather effusive, saying, although it is just a mad libs of Terry Nation, it's fun and classic Pertwee. Eight out of ten ice lava volcanoes. <laughs> Shot Grande 67 has some fond childhood memories and commented on our Instagram post to say, I remember rushing my parents to get home from shopping on a Saturday tea time to see this. I loved the Dalek army in the ice. Agreed. Both Kieran James Evans and Adam Wright came to this one with similar ratings. Kieran said, So I think a 7 out of 10 is probably fair for this one. Nothing new idea-wise, but well put together and fun for the most part. It is a little long though. While Adam stated, I was amused by the invisible Spyrodons. Only needed to add slave labour. I hated the romantic (laughs) plot with LaTap. And he finds it amusing that Elsa from Frozen could defeat these Daleks. I give the story seven purple fur coats. Heading a little further down the scoreboard, Dave Sanderson wrote in with the following commentary. The linked 12-parter ends with a whimper and not a bang, really. Some good ideas across Frontier and Planet, but both would have benefited from a trim. Two four-parters, maybe? Overall, six out of ten sets of scary eyes for Frontier of the Daleks. (laughs) In terms of direct feedback, we have a few who were also disappointed. We will start with David Campbell, who said, Seeing the November and December 1993 repeats, I found Planet of the Daleks something of a letdown after reading the Target novel a few years earlier, where the story came across as much more exciting. And then he goes on to ask, What classic story would the Watchers have chosen to show on BBC One to mark the 30th anniversary instead of this? 
I've done some thinking on this, and I think I'd go with the three Doctors. You get Pertwee, Troughton, and Hartnell if you're going to go for something from Season 10. Love it. I agree. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and we're going to come back to two of our friends who commented on Frontier in Space. Both Nathan Laws and Alan Seiler responded in further support of Frontier, with Nathan posting on our Facebook page to say, It's kind of a travesty that this one gets a higher score than Frontier in Space. As everyone pointed out, it doesn't really do much to play with the elements of the prior story, and it's just nation by numbers. Meanwhile, Frontier in Space had a genuinely creative story, a well-realized setting, and good characterization. I'm still baffled by the hate that that serial gets. I don't hate Planet of the Daleks, but it certainly pales in comparison to Frontier. I definitely think the serial could have used some Delgado help, but I'm not sure if Nation would have known how to write for him. And Alan then chimes in to say, I'm with you, Nathan. I enjoy Frontier much more than the fan average. Planet is fine, but I don't think it's as good, nor as ambitious, as Frontier. Certainly not as ambitious. Yes, it's not as ambitious. But again, it's the difference of I get to be nostalgic and think about all the old times with the Daleks, or I get to see people in prisons. And I know we keep saying it, but fundamentally, our scores are very... um, Of the moment. Our scores are like the point system from whose line is it anyway. That's what people need to realize. Totally arbitrary and a little bit of a gut comment based on how much we enjoyed the story. Yeah. If you have to take them seriously, keep in mind that when we give a score, it's not like, okay, well, was this better than the previous? Should I give it higher? It's more of a, did this live up to its potential? So part of that is the overall world building, which Frontier did well. The other part is the characters and what they have to do. There might be a little bit of... How well were the special effects pulled off? Was it believable? Could we get lost in it? And then there's just how much did we enjoy it? And I think that latter part, Don, is fundamentally what most of us really go on to make up our score. Yeah, but for me personally, the reason Frontier didn't get rated higher was it had more potential to be great than Planet of the Daleks, but it didn't live up to it for me. Planet was kind of Terry Nation on easy mode, but it knew what it was going to be, and it did it. It lived up to the potential it set for itself. And it was fun. It wasn't as repetitive in what we saw happen to the Doctor and Joe. Exactly. Let's move on from that. Last, but very much not least, Richard Elsey wrote in with the following suggestion. Maybe you should do a comparison with Terry Nation's other work, Blake 7, and see if you can spot tropes in common. You know, guys, I would love to do a Blake 7 spin-off of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. We'd call it Watchers in the Terran Federation, abbreviated, of course, to WTF. It would be fantastic. <laughs> and guess what? It still works because I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. Nor have I. <laughs> we might make that happen eventually, coming soon to a podcasting app near you. Which means a couple of years. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We just got to wrap up this Doctor Who thing first. That'll take too long. How long could the show possibly last? <laughs> Anyway, that wraps up our mail. And as a reminder, we really love hearing all of your feedback, comments, and questions. And as you've heard, we do try to read out as many of them as possible. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D or via email at Watchers4D at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. And with that, we'll move into our Season 10 retrospective. To recap what we said at the beginning, we will kick off with our award-style categories, which we will answer in reverse alphabetical order. So Riley will answer first, followed by Julie, then Don, and finally myself. After that, we move into our quantitative metrics, and then we'll wrap it up with questions gathered from Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. And the first category is best and worst stories. And our options here from season 10 are The Three Doctors, 
Carnival of Monsters, Frontier in Space, Planet of the Daleks, and The Green Death. Riley, over to you. This is a tough one, because just like last season, the quality of all the serials are good. There aren't any stinkers. I went back and forth on this, and even though I had The Green Death rated higher, but as we talked about our rating system, it is arbitrary and could be depending on your mood. I actually think The Three Doctors is best, at least today. It has so much going for it, and I believe my initial rating was based on the high expectations of The Three Doctors, and I didn't think it hit it. But looking back at it, I really appreciate it more. And it's interesting that The Green Death and The Three Doctors feel to me like building blocks for New Who, because one of them shows you how to do a multi-doctor story, and I think The Green Death shows you a really good way of doing a companion farewell story. And for worst story, like I said, there isn't anything that's bad. So I have to, <laughs> and even though we just talked about this, if I have to pick the one I liked the least is Frontier in Space. I'm sorry. It hurts me to say that considering it is Delgado's last appearance. And it has one of my favorites in it, the Ogrons. But as we mentioned before, a lot of repetition and the detailed plot. The premise is great. The premise in general is very good. But once you get into the details, it just doesn't really work well. So... Frontier in space for a story. All right. Thank you, Riley. Julie, over to you. I'm going to flip-flop on this one with Riley. I think a part of me enjoys the three doctors more, but I personally think that the Green Death is realistically a better story because it is a six-episode serial, but it does a really good job of keeping you interested and entertained. It doesn't do a lot of repetitiveness like we saw in Frontier in Space, there was really good props. I liked all of the additional characters. I thought Boss was hilarious. The only bad thing about it was a little bit bad of use of CSO, but I looked over that pretty easily. Worst story, hands down, Carnival of Monsters. You'll see this as a theme for me as we get into some of the other selections. Two main reasons why I dislike Carnival of Monsters. One, anything with the bureaucrats, I cannot stand. Anthony and I will disagree with that all day, every day. And two, it is called Carnival of Monsters. I expected a lot of <laughs> monsters and all we got were dish rags. <laughs> I can't fault you there, Julie. Done. I am right in line with Julie on this one. Best story, not necessarily my favorite, but the one that tried really hard to live up to its own ambition was The Green Death. It's really good. It has some dodgy moments that we will refer to later, but I think it's very solid. For me, the worst story, or at least the one that I, I don't know if I enjoyed it the least. I did have quite a few complaints on it, and it just, it hasn't left an impact on me, except for when I think back to it, my memory is just of irritation, is Carnival of Monsters. Too many bureaucrats arguing, not a single clown. <laughs> There's no cotton candy either. That's not much of a carnival. <laughs> so yeah that's i think the worst not that there's anything that's particularly awful in this season that's what i think yeah and honestly i'm inclined to agree with don and julie on both of those again there's nothing terrible this season everything is solid where it's enjoyable it's really enjoyable where it's not so good it's average i mean there's nothing bad about this season at all I went with The Green Death. I really love it. As I said when we recorded it, I think spending a lot of time in my childhood in South Wales probably biased me a little, having Welsh heritage myself. But it was fun. You know, it had a lot of fun characters. I enjoyed Boss. I enjoyed Stevens. I enjoyed Elgin. I enjoyed all of our Welsh yokels. It was great. 
it wasn't perfect. Again, the bad CSO that we will come back to later being the exact case in point. In terms of my least favorite, again, Carnal of Monsters. There's nothing offensive about it. It's a solid enough story, but it's probably more forgettable than anything else for me this season. And I know we were harsh on Frontier in Space, but I think Carnal of Monsters, you know, there's not even something extremely repetitive to keep our interest. And that's despite something being in a time loop. <laughs> so that's where my vote lands. Next up, and there are no nominations to this one, can be literally anything that happened over the course of the season. We have best and worst moment. And again, Riley, we start with you. Best moment, I am split. Gotta have a tie. First up would be the Brigadier's delivery and line in response to the second doctor who offered to play something on his recorder if he could find it. And the three doctors, and in the line was, we must be thankful for small mercies. <laughs> <laughs> And the second is in Frontier in Space. I loved it so much is when the master is muttering to himself after finishing a communications with the Daleks by saying, don't feel the Daleks indeed, you stupid tin boxes. Just two wonderful character moments from really great supporting players. I just love those two little bits in this season. Worst moment, you know, nothing really stood out to me. So I'm going to have to fall back to the repeated depiction of glistening, multicolored, disgusting glop in Planet of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Somewhat expected from you, Riley, but that doesn't make it any less entertaining to hear you say mm. that. Julie, what are your thoughts on this one? I also have two for, I have two for both, let's be honest. Best moments, I love when Benton and the second Doctor greet each other as if they're old friends in the three Doctors. I thought that was just wonderful and, and adorable. A runner-up is really just the Brigadier's face in almost the entirety of the three Doctors. Because <laughs> he's so, like, he's so emotive. I love it. I think he's hilarious. And it just punctuated how much he's just done with the Doctor in all forms. Worst moment, I have two. One is a blanket statement. It's pretty much any scene with the bureaucrats in Carnival of Monsters. That's all I need to say about that. And I don't know if it's really worst moment, but I guess more of like disappointing moment was when there's that weird mist wall thing that everyone walks through at the end of the Three Doctors. It just, it was weird. They could have done so much more with that than just being like, okay, we're going to have some fog and that's it. Those are my two. Fair enough. Don, let's hear yours. Best moment, anytime Trouton was on screen. <laughs> I love the way he interacted with the other characters, especially Benton. It was always fun. My tie for that would be Pertwee in drag and as the milkman <laughs> in the Green Death. I want more of that so much because it was just so good. And my worst moment was... Any scene in the Green Death that involved anyone going down an elevator, especially <laughs> the first one where it looked like they just had the guy on a loop because he went back and forth and he had like an old school 8-bit Nintendo animation as he went down. I know exactly what you mean. So amusingly bad. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So for my best moment, I'm thinking seeing Troughton and Pertwee on screen at the same time as a raging fanboy. That is just so glorious. It's a shame that Hartnell's action in that story was restricted to a video screen given his own ill health because it would have been even better if we could have seen all three of them acting together and on the same set. But sadly, it just wasn't meant to be. My worst moment 
was the ogron eating testicle monster in frontier in space <laughs> dear god i can see why they rewrote the ending to reduce the amount that that thing was in because it's one of the worst realized monsters we've seen in the show so far even worse than the goddamn sleeping bag version of the axons in the claws of axos <laughs> <sighs> disappointing Next up, we have Best Lead Actor, and we only have two nominations here. We have John Pertwee as The Doctor, and Katie Manning as Joe Grant. So, good chance of both of them landing a few nominations. Riley, let's go. Time to give some love to Katie Manning. When you think about it, her entire course of her span on the show, she has had to effectively act against two different doctors. The pre-Sea Devil's third doctor and the post-Sea Devil's <laughs> third doctor. And when you think about that and how big of a change that was, she was the constant that helped that transition go smoothly. And she held down the fort as they basically rewrote the main character. So just wanted to appreciate her as she leaves the show, sadly. Julie? I think this was the hardest season for me to choose between best leads because for all the reasons Riley stated with Katie Manning, but I'm actually going to go with Sean Pertwee this time around. And part of it is predominantly in the three doctors, that interaction that he had with Troughton after they both got over themselves and they actually started working together. It worked really well. They bounced ideas off each other. You could see that there is some sort of chemistry there. And I really enjoyed that piece of it. And obviously he continues to be so much better than his seasons seven and eight self. So that's been a big improvement as well. So I just really enjoyed watching him this season. I think that's fair. Don, what are you thinking, John or Katie? I also went with Pertwee by just the tiniest of bits, mainly because this season he seems to be having a lot more fun with the role. And doesn't seem, at least he's not written to be so concerned with having that action man appearance. He's a lot friendlier, funnier. We had that one scene in The Three Doctors where he has the brig pass him carbon rod or whatever it was. And then he just uses it to stir his tea. <laughs> Little yes. funny moments that were sadly lacking from the show previously. And I really enjoyed that. So we're basically an even split because, like Riley, I think I'm with Katie Manning here. I think John Pertwee really came into his own in season nine, and season 10 has been Joe Grant's season. I think Katie has acted her heart and soul out. The character, I think, has finally shown that she can be absolutely spectacular, and a big part of that is down to the writing, but it's I feel like it's 50-50 between that and Katie Manning's uh portrayal of the character so knowing that she's gone i kind of just want to give her some love here and name her as the best lead actor from my perspective mr pert we will get one last hurrah next season from me next up we have best supporting actor and for the first time that we've been doing this also worst supporting actor and this is a free-for-all. You can literally pick anyone <laughs> who is not Katie Manning or John Pertwee on this. And Riley, we will start with you. Best Supporting Actor. I am going with... Here, let me check my notes. Ogron piloting spaceship from <laughs> Frontier in Space. <laughs> Actually... I'm going to go with Jerome Willis as Stevens from The Green Death. I really, really liked his death scene. It was good. He stood out. He was strong. You know, in a, in a show that has had a bunch of bureaucrats that have been mind-controlled, his performance was strong and didn't seem to buy the book and wasn't annoying. 
Worst supporting actor. Now, this is difficult because I keep thinking of several annoying characters from the season, but that doesn't mean that the acting was poor. That just, you know, especially if the character was meant to be annoying, that means the acting was good. I'm looking at you, Interminorians. So I will go with the, such a brief moment, but the unit guard from the three doctors. Holy Moses, what's that? That's who I'm going with. That guy. Uh, you don't like the like Batman sayings, the holy rusted metal Batmans? <laughs> uh, like I said, it was tough to find one, but I, I'll go with him. Just that line reading. Yeah. That's a shame, Riley. I, I really, really enjoy that. I think that's Dennis Palmer playing Corporal Palmer, the holy Moses guy. So each to their own. Julie, who are you thinking on these two? All right. So for best supporting actor, the highlight of Carnival of Monsters, and that's Cheryl Hall as Sherna. Ah, I love everything about her, her outfit. She just wears it with such, I don't know, she's great. Her compassion, her spunk. I just think that she's, again, the shining light in that entire serial. Worst supporting, I mean, I don't want to just blanket statement all of the bureaucrats, so I won't. So the person that I chose, I don't think he's like bad, but I just didn't enjoy him. And it was Michael Hawkins as General Williams. Part of it, I think, was partially how he was written, but he just came across as just total arrogance the entire time, and I just did not enjoy his character. Done. I decided to go with someone I was fairly certain no one else would mention, so I'm giving the nod to Harold Goldblatt for Professor Dale in Frontier in Space, mm. mainly because when he showed up, I was fully expecting the next episode to be him and the Doctor like on the run on Earth from various forces allied against him. Obviously, that never happened, but I really liked his performance. So I'm going to give that for the other one. I'm pretty sure I have to give it to Dennis Parma for the Holy Moses unit guard, because if I remember correctly, that guy is the reason this category exists in the first place. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And it wasn't just the one line. Anytime he spoke, it was brilliantly awful. So there you go. <laughs> so I, for Best Supporting Actor, like Riley, went with Jerome Willis as Stevens. He is just so good. Every time he's on screen, he steals the goddamn show. Very, very hard not to pick him. And as Riley said, his death, that moment of silence before the plant explodes with him in it is just mwah, chef's kiss. For worst supporting actor, I went for the wet blanket himself that is Alan Tucker as Lotep. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that guy, literally he is trying to save his people, destroy the Daleks, and he's just being emo over Joe. Like, dude, job in hand. <laughs> and when he's trying to convince Joe... There's just so little conviction in the performance that it just, <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't believe it. It's just so unbelievable a performance for me. It throws me right out. So for me, 100% Alan Tucker as Lotep. Next up, one of our old favorites, and I'm sure we'll see some commonality between us here. Best villain and worst villain, Riley. Oh, I should read the nominations, shouldn't I? Yes. The nominations on this one are... Omega and or the Gel Guards for the Three Doctors, Kalik and or the Jurassics in Carnival of Monsters, the Master and or the Ogrons in Frontier in Space, the Daleks in Planet of the Daleks, and finally, Boss and or CSO in The Green Death. <laughs> Riley, over to you. 
There are a lot of good villains this season. I think an argument honestly could be made for any one of them. You know me, I love the Master. I love me some Ogrons. But the Master's gotten his praise before. It is Boss who needs his moment in the sun, I believe. Fantastic. An artificial intelligence with flair, ego. It was enjoyable to have that much personality from the artificial intelligence. It was refreshing. Worst villain... I have to kind of single this out, even though I do like Omega, but the guards, the jail guards, just, you know, not really well designed. That's all. Had potential, though, but the design seemed a little bit lazy. That's it. Like I said, not much for worse villains, I don't think. I think all of them are very strong. All right. And Julie, over to you. I can already guess worst villain, but I will let you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So best villain, I am in agreement with Riley. I love Boss. Again, it's that flair. It's his singing of classical music and all of that. And yet he's an AI. So yes, I enjoy that him having a personality is so much better than just your kind of usual typical dry AI who's all about just strict science and what is, you know, worst villain. It's Kalik <laughs> from Carnival of Monsters. I didn't really completely understand that whole plotline anyway to begin with, because since we never moved scenes, which we will discuss in a later category, it didn't help drive that point of what exactly was going on. So I just was not a fan of his. Don, let's hear your thoughts. Best villain, I have a tie. Firstly, being boss for (laughs) all the reasons everyone has already spoken, because he's awesome. Second, of course, being Steve Holt himself. <laughs> Omega, oddly enough, for the opposite reason, because he's just so over the top mm-hmm. and he has survived for hundreds of thousands of years with only scenery to chew on. <laughs> and I can appreciate that level of commitment. And the worst is, of course, Kalik or Kasok or whatever his stupid name is, because, oh, my God. Say, so, we're a full house on boss. I don't think I can add more to what's already been said about this wonderful AI with so much character to it. Absolutely brilliant, well-scripted, and well-played by the actor behind him. And again, worst villain, Kalik. Screw that guy. Yes. <laughs> Nothing entertaining there whatsoever. Done. Okay, and with that incredibly short answer from myself, we move on to my personal favorite categories, Best Director and the Richard Martin Award for Worst Director, a.k.a. The Dickie. Riley, who have you got for best director and who are you giving your dickie to? <laughs> Reese. <laughs> <sighs> well, this will be a shock to everyone. I'm going to go with David Maloney for Planet of the Daleks because he really did make the planet look so very alien and full, despite how disgusting. There was a lot going on visually. I even, and also that he did that whole little spray paint kind of thing with the Daleks and. The invisibility wasn't as cheesy as you would expect. I said, just I thought the sets were really good there. And I keep saying this, the quality of the show on a base level is never bad. It is always average to good. So there isn't a bad director. There's just a director that isn't as good as other directors this season. So I'm going to go with Paul Bernard for Frontier in Space. And I just feel like, you know, he was kind of up against it because there's only so many ways you can shoot a jail cell. So <laughs> that's fair. And I realized once again, I forgot to name the nominations. So before I hand it over to Julie, Riley, you've already named two of them, but the full set of nominations are Lenny Main for The Three Doctors, Barry Letts for Carnival of Monsters, 
Paul Bernard for Frontier in Space, David Maloney for Planet of the Daleks, and Michael Bryant for The Green Death. And Julie. Best director I'm giving to Michael Bryant. Again, other than those small issues or big issues with CSO, whichever you want to consider that. Everything else I thought was really well realized. All the cuts that were made made sense for the story. He kept everyone entertained for those full six episodes. And I just thought overall that it was very well done. Uh, Worst director for me is Barry Letts with Carnival of Monsters. And part of that is... Again, I think there were things that were cut where it was like, you probably should have left some of that in there because then it would have made the story make more sense. Again, not having enough monsters. And I think it's probably similar to some of the other directors, not necessarily their fault, because I know that that was, I think Carnival of Monsters was the lower budget one. So there's only certain things you can do. So there's some limitations, but I think they could have gotten more creative. All right, done. Best. I am also giving it to Michael Bryant for The Green Death. A very ambitious story. There's a lot of shooting on location. There's special effects that could have potentially utterly failed. But I'm not giving him the dicky for this, but I am also giving Michael Bryant what we're going to call the little dicky. <laughs> For certain shots in the Green Death, not just the elevators, but whenever there was obvious CSO and it wasn't necessary because they had clearly already been on that same location and set. Very confusing. But yeah, the actual Dicky is going to Barry Letts for Carnival of Monsters, where you have the bureaucrats talking about their plans always in the same location. And I think that was one of the reasons that just made it kind of boring. And this really shows how wonderfully varied we can be. My nominations here, my best director is like Riley David Maloney, because I think he makes very few bad steps with Planet of the Daleks. It's a very solid story. And to take those 60s style jungles that looked great in black and white, you know, I frequently say black and white hides a multitude of sins. He made it look good in color. And that's impressive. And as Riley said, all of the gloop and disgustingness looks great. I can even forgive him failing to get a good performance out of Alan Tucker as Lotep. I can forgive that. Everyone else is on point. You've got a great cast with people like Bernard Horsfall. And I feel like Pertwee, Katie Manning, they're firing on all cylinders. There's a lot of tension in that story that works really, really well, even if some of it is for mere seconds. I just enjoyed it a lot. And I think a lot of that comes down to David Maloney's direction. I'm giving the dicky here, though. And I want to say this, bearing in mind that The Green Death was my favorite story of the season to Michael Bryant. And that solely comes down to the fucking awful use of CSO. <laughs> wow. Don already mentioned the shaky 16-bit elevator <laughs> CSO. There's the scenes, again, Don already mentioned it, that should have been on location that were inexplicably shit shot with CSO. Almost said shit with CSO. <laughs> it works. I just don't get it. It's so questionable. And I have no idea why he made some of those CSO decisions when it just wasn't necessary. So even though he does a good job on so much of it, bearing in mind how solid everyone is this season from a directorial perspective, it's some small mistakes for me that bring Michael Bryant down. And we will wrap up our awards with the best and worst use of music. Riley, over to you. For best use of music, I'm going to go 
for just about everything in The Three Doctors. Particularly, there's a great bit of music when they walk up to Bessie in episode two. Also, the music for Around Omega's Lair is a lot of fun. Just a lot of great little bits there. Worst use of music, any music affiliated with the Interminorians. That's how annoying they are. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, Julie, you're up next, our music guru. Funny enough, my best and worst use of music come from the same serial. My favorite was on the ship in the Carnival of Monsters. It just really added to the atmosphere. You had that like jaunty music and you're you're on this British ship heading over to India and it was just so much fun and it was instrumental, wasn't synth, and I was like, man, this is great. Then we get to the dish rags in the <laughs> Carnival of Monsters and... The opportunity to use a lot of bass and percussion and all of that and no, we get synth. I was like, I thought we got rid of that. And then it came back. So that's my worst music. Somehow I figured it would be something to do with Dudley's synthesizer. Of course it is. I don't know what gave me that impression. (laughs) Don, let's hear what you're going for here. Since I couldn't find my notes on anything (laughs) musical, I am not going to nominate anything for the worst use of music. And my best use of music is going to be Joe is making a thing (gasps) from the Scorchies in the hopes to get it out of my damn head. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I'll allow it. Not technically part of the season, but it's allowed. It was so much fun, though. Okay, I'm on the same page as Riley. In my opinion, the best use of music is what I've got as in uh, inverted commas, the sparkly score to the three doctors. Just lots of like little surreal chimes and sparkles that sound great and really give Omega's Realm a really otherworldly vibe. Like Don on this one, nothing really stood out to me as being particularly egregious. I think particularly when we look back at previous seasons, looking at you season eight, (laughs) Dudley didn't put too many steps out of line here. So I'm just not going to nominate anything, much like Don. So on that rather damp squib, (laughs) we move on to a recap of our various scores and metrics so very very quickly you look collectively our best two stories were the three doctors and green death which had an average of 8.5 followed by planet of daleks seven carnal of monsters 6.25 and in last place frontier in space 5.25 giving us a season average of 7.10 don you gave your top score to the three doctors your first 10 out of 10 rounded wow yes technically 9.99 recurring (laughs) (laughs) your worst carnival of monsters and frontier in space you gave five to each of those julie your top one green death 8.5 lowest frontier in space with a six there's a theme developing here for everyone except don riley your favorite green death eight points lowest frontier in space with a five and then myself guess what green death at the top nine points and capping me off at the lowest frontier in space with a lowly five so we're pretty consistent Don, even for you, Green Death was your second highest. So I think overall, we're looking at Green Death, Three Doctors at the top, Frontier in Space, Carnival of Monsters at the bottom, and Planet of the Daleks pretty solidly in the middle. So we're at the point where we're all starting to think the same. Oh, no. I know. Worrying. Looking at our metrics, we only had one Pertwee Gurn this season in the Green Death. That brings our total series count to 14 Pertwee Gurns over the course of, at this point, (laughs) 19 stories. So, you know, he's come down a little on his average gurning. (laughs) 
at the camp count, before I total this one up, I do want to suggest something. We did not give anything to Carnal of Monsters, and I think Vork's coat deserved something. So <laughs> I would like to move we give that a two. Fair. Oh, yeah. Which gives us a total of nine points for the season, making it the campus Pertwee season so far. And how many points for those were Omega? Five. That's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> over half of them were Omega. We gave some to Boss. We gave Boss two points. That's fair. That's and this fair. brings our total series camp count up to 107.5 points. I do want to point out that season four got 19 of those, and season three got 37 and a half of those points, mostly due to Marvik Chen, <laughs> who we awarded 20 <laughs> points to. Impressive. That's fair. <laughs> We had one instance of I'll Explain Later in The Three Doctors. That brings our total show count to five. We had three instances of Quarry Query, bringing it up to 17. And a first instance of Jelly Babies. That's a new one for us. So that brings us to the end of our metrics. And so now I've been busy compiling questions from social media. I've tried to put these in some kind of order that made sense. And here I've tried to go kind of in story order where there's been something relevant to a particular story and then a few general ones at the end. So we'll start out with our friend Mike Muncher, who says, I saw that both Jenny McCracken, who was Claire in Carnival of Monsters, and Cheryl Hall, who was Scherner in Carnival of Monsters, were on the shortlist for the part of Joe Grant. Do you think either of them would have been better than Katie Manning after having seen their acting chops in Carnival of Monsters? I think that's an unfair question, because I don't think Joe would have been the same if someone yeah. else was acting that role. And maybe that's what they're asking here. I don't know. Maybe not Jenny McCracken, but I do think Cheryl Hall could have made a good companion. I think she had the right spunk for it. I think that she would have just been really good. She has a lot of attitude, but I would hope that they would give her something other than Joe Grant. I agree with Julie on this. I wouldn't answer the question in regards to would have been better. I thought of it like, could they have played the part of Joe as she has written? And I like both Jenny McCracken and Troll Hall, but looking back over it, I don't know what it is about the look of Jenny McCracken, but I just don't think she has the right look for the part. I do think Cheryl Hall does. There's something more approachable about Cheryl Hall, more, um, uh, trying to find a term for it, like just a friendlier look while Jenny McCracken has more of a very high cheekbone beauty look while Cheryl Hall has a very kind of like the girl down the block that you're friends with when you're growing up or something, you know, a lot more approachable. And that seems to fit the character of Joe more. Yeah, that's fair. Don, any thoughts on this one? I think this is almost an impossible question. I think they both could have played companions and that companion could have been named Joe Grant, but it <laughs> certainly wouldn't be the same Joe Grant in any way, because the actor brings so much of themselves to the character. I think I agree with that. I also think I would have need to have seen more of these two actors than just four episodes to even compare. I think I'm kind of with Julie of the two. I could probably see Cheryl Hall more in the role than Jenny McCracken, but I'm not convinced. And it certainly wouldn't have been the same character. Next up, and I actually really like this question. We're sticking on Carnal of Monsters. Nathan Laws asks, with five miniscope circuits... What scenarios, locations, or creatures would you put in each one to create enough diversity and generate enough interest to ratchet Carnival of Monsters up to 11? Now, before we jump in, I do want to say you don't get to 11 unless you get rid of the bureaucrats, or at least find a way to make them more interesting. <laughs> but we will focus on the miniscope. Okay, I thought way too long about this question, so I've got to answer this. 
I saw this as, I don't know why, as kind of a drink pairing pre-fee kind of thing. Each miniscope <laughs> gets its own drink. So here we go. Number one, I would give the person a shot of Robitussin and have them watch the Zarbi and Monoptra battle. That'd be the first one. Okay. Second. Second one, I'd give them a shot of whiskey and have them have to watch Cyril from the Celestial Toymaker play children's <laughs> games. Oh, that's good. Okay. Like <laughs> Number three, this is where we cool down a little bit. You're going to have a tiki drink and you're going to watch the underwater ballet of the Atlanteans from the Underwater Menace. Okay? Yes. A little downtime. All right. But then we're going to crank it up a little bit. You're going to get a hot toddy and we're going to watch our favorite chunky boys, the Yetis, compete in some winter Olympic sports. I was thinking like the ski jump. Okay. And then finally, we finish it all up with a big glass of guess what? There's nothing in the glass. Want to know why? Because there's nothing in the fifth spot. Because there are no makra. They don't exist. (laughs) Well played, sir. I can't answer this. I'm sorry, but I can't follow up on what Riley just did. Yeah, that's not fair. Except for the fact he left out the Vord. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, that's on the secret sixth circuit. No, no, that's the VIP secret party area, I think. And you have to be 17 or older to get to go in. (laughs) Hidden behind a paywall. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) I started thinking about this one. And while it's nowhere near as entertaining as how Riley came up with it, I did think the Zarbi would be fun. I wanted to give the Cybermen an appearance so that they would actually get a full episode in the Pertwee era. That would be nice. Let's take them to Kemble. That was pretty horrific in Mission to the Unknown. Hmm? And yeah, blank one for those creatures that don't exist. And you know, let's take him to the land of fiction as well. That would be a wonderful trip. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I landed. I would potentially put the Vikings and the meddling monk into one of them. Could be fun. Yeah, mainly just because I'd like to see more of the meddling monk. He was fun. Our next couple of questions relate to the so-called 12-part Dalek epics. So David Campbell asks us, it's really a statement, then a question, but he says... It's a somewhat underwhelming season because it was built around plans for an ambitious and epic space opera that turned out to be rather plodding and dull in execution. Judging from the surviving episodes, how do the watchers think that watching 12 episodes of Daleks Master Plan would compare to the experience of watching Frontier in Space and then Planet of the Daleks? So the thing is, is that I don't think Frontier in Space and Planet of the Daleks is actually some sort of space opera. I'm sorry, they are completely separated, hanging together by a thread, and I just don't see them as a 12-episode story arc. Whereas the Daleks' master plan is actually truly one big giant story, minus the one Christmas episode. (laughs) So I would say, even though they're not all the surviving episodes, I do think the Daleks' master plan is a better experience, because it is actually one true big story And I think that was executed well. I really enjoyed Daleks Master Plan. I agree. You can watch Planet of the Daleks without ever having seen Frontier in Space. And not only would you not miss anything, you won't even realize that there was anything to miss. (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I'm going to say, I saw Planet of the Daleks as a kid before I saw Frontier in Space. And aside from wondering how did the Doctor end up in this condition he's in at the beginning... I didn't miss a damn thing, so absolutely accurate. I also would rather watch DMP. If I was going to sit down and watch 12 back-to-back concurrent episodes of Doctor Who, 100% picking DMP, reconstructions and all. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Breed. It's fun. It goes all over the place. It's got a, a lot of different tones, but the story across it of the Daleks and Marvik Chen trying to take over the galaxy, very consistent. It's there the whole way through. Really, really fun and enjoyable and very dark at times. And the Daleks master plan has evil Christmas trees, so it <laughs> automatically wins. Exactly. I knew that had to make an appearance. Of course. Incidentally, dear listener, if you are not following us on Instagram or on Facebook, we recently posted a Terry Nation bingo card. <laughs> you should 100% go and check out. I will put a link to that in the blurb of this. What we should do is we should then watch BMP and actually sit there and play bingo. <laughs> no, all of us choose a different one and start them all at the same time. And whoever gets to their first bingo wins. Julie's thrown down the gauntlet, guys. Next up, my old friend Cy Hunt. I'm not sure if I finished my answer to the previous question, but the answer is DMP. My old friend Cy Hunt asks, if you could tackle the 12 episode Poe Epic brief, how would you have done it differently? By making one. <laughs> <laughs> by first off, not having it split out by different writers and directors. I just think that if you're going to do one big story, it's going to have to be the same one. You see it happening in movie franchises when you have different people doing the different parts of a trilogy and people being like, well, this part of the trilogy didn't make sense to the others because there was a different director. There's a different vision. It's just not going to be really cohesive unless you have one writer throughout the entire thing, one director throughout the entire thing. So that would be my first step of tackling that epic. You have to set stuff up within the first few episodes that then pay off during the final ones rather than having two separate things that barely connect. Having an outline would be good. That would be good. <laughs> Honestly, I think it could have been done with what they had. I think the things I would tackle differently between Frontier and Space and Planet of the Daleks. Firstly, I would weave a more interesting story around that incredible world building. You know, maybe actually have one of the sides believe the Doctor and Joe from the beginning. Maybe it doesn't need the master. Maybe he's there superfluously and he could have been brought into the Green Death or Carnival of Monsters or one of the other stories to add that additional element. Weave it around that, bring Daleks in a little bit earlier and tie it better together. Maybe at the end you have the humans and the Draconians joining forces to take down the Daleks and save yeah. our heroes at the end. Bringing them in to fight with the Thals. Why not? Yeah. Biggest problem that you have there is the fact that I don't think Terry Nation would know how to write that. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I think, again, looking at DMP, while Terry Nation had a co-writer, you know, they each took six episodes in Dennis Spooner. You're right. It was the same director. Douglas Canfield did the whole lot and it damn near killed him, which is why they didn't do that here. But I think it worked so much better as a result. One vision. Yeah. I think they needed to get Malcolm Hulk and Terry Nation in a room together and actually have them outline it and figure out how to tie the two better together. And we probably would have still ended up with a bunch of Terry tropes. But hey, it could have still been fun with that. Next up, we have a first time person asking a question. Joseph Storb says, and this is really three questions in one. Do you feel that the touching moments at the end of The Green Death where the Doctor sullenly drives away alone is earned? Had we seen enough character growth from their first meeting in Terror of the Autons to truly believe that the third Doctor would be that affected by Joe leaving him? And do you think that this is a satisfying conclusion to the Doctor and Joe's arc? Do I feel that it was a touching moment? Did I feel it? You, sir, do I feel that touching moment? How dare you, sir? <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. Yes, it was earned. Yes, it was effective. <laughs> Joseph, I think Riley's about to slap you with a glove. 
and all honestly, I I thought it was great. I thought it was earned. It's even more effective when you realize how much the third doctor's personality has changed. And you know what? It probably had a lot to do with Joe, which makes that even more important. Absolutely. There was definitely enough character growth. All of you have probably listened to us and you know that at the very beginning, we were very harsh. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even say really harsh, but there were definitely some people who thought that we were being very harsh to the third doctor because he was arrogant and he didn't like to listen to anybody and he didn't like Joe being there. And the fact that throughout the seasons, he started to have this relationship, he would tell stories and they would, you know everything that they've been through. So yes, it's absolutely deserved. It's earned. And I actually do think that it was good to conclude their arc. You potentially could have gotten one more season with Joe, but I actually think that it pretty much fulfilled itself by the end. I think I agree with that. And what I found particularly interesting, and I know I mentioned it when we were doing The Green Death, were those little callbacks to the Doctor and Joe's initial relationship in Terror of the Autons that you see paralleled in Professor Jones, where he basically asks her to go make coffee and she's like, oh, am I the tea girl? She's extremely clumsy around him and ruins his experiments in the same way she did in Terror of the Autons with the Doctor. So they do a nice job at tying it up and showing how she has basically spent three seasons taming the Doctor a little bit. And now the implication is she's done that. And now she's going to go and do that with Professor Jones. And I think it's 100% earned that touching moment at the end. Absolutely love it. Don, any thoughts? I think everyone's covered it. Cool. <laughs> Next up... Our old friend with the amazing name Beardo Beatnik. If you could have a spin-off series with any character from season 10, who would you choose? I would want to see the Sherna adventures post-Vorg. I want the Brigadier in a 70s sitcom. Maybe like an odd couple thing where something happens in his life and he has to move in with Benton. <laughs> <laughs> but he needs that one character that just is there all the time, just constantly frustrating him because he just needs yes. to have that of just resigned. I'm just, I'm here with this person. Why? Why is this me? I would like a music review YouTube channel hosted by Boss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the what theme I would tune like. would obviously be sung by Boss, right? Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. I think I would like something, and it's not just one character, it's a bunch of characters, but I would like something that's somewhere between a soap and a sitcom set in Han Fairfax after Global Chemicals has exploded. Uh, basically, you know, Elgin is brought back to try and revitalize the area now that the coal and oil industry has been decimated. He's got some like enterprising 70s startup to work with the whole wheel community, which now has UN funding. And, you know, we just see Welsh village life and, you know, maybe the Brigadier and Benton can make occasional guest appearances. It would be great. <laughs> And this would be just a drama. I'm trying to think, what is the, I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance here. What is the name of that English drama, like a country such on like Summerdale, Summervale? My, Emmerdale. My, Emmerdale, thank you. It would, but I would want it to be a little bit funny. I would like it to have some humor to it. As I said, halfway between a soap and a sitcom. Gotcha. Yeah, that could be fun. So maybe Emmerdale mixed with Letterkenny? Yes. <laughs> and I realize I'm going to upset some people by saying this. Mixed with Letterkenny, but actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I've only watched like an episode, so. 
I watched the whole season and was like, this is just not doing it for me. Next up, and I had to interpret this one a little, so I'm not sure if this was the original intent, but Rob Levy asks something around the breakup of the unit family. So I interpreted that as the Green Death starts to see the breakup of the unit family. Are you disappointed that the established core of the last three seasons is starting to disintegrate? When you watch Doctor Who, it's just an ever-repeating series of getting to know people and having them leave you. Yeah. It had to happen at some point. And that's one of the important things about the show. That's what sets the show apart from so many other shows, is that it's a show that doesn't have that weird TV logic of nothing changes, all these characters stay the same, they're always going to be here with you every week until we get cancelled. And they're always in high school somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doctor Who approaches those topics, and that's really refreshing, because that's something that we all need to be reminded about. And I think, from my perspective, after four seasons, we're finally getting fewer and fewer mentions of Jamie. And <laughs> if Julie can get over Jamie leaving, the rest of us can get over the unit family right. breaking up. There's hope for all of us and all sources of loss. Yeah. And as you kind of mentioned that, one of my comments was, you know, I'm kind of glad that it was Joe first, because if it were going to be Benton, I would have been bawling. So <laughs> <laughs> I will be sad when we finally get no more Benton. But again, it's how the show goes. We get new characters, we get new people. I'm actually looking forward to a new companion just to get to learn someone new. So it should be fun. Julie, I'll give you a tiny little bit of a spoiler. Benton is one of the last <gasps> ones standing from UNIT. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> I have plenty of time. Okay, and then last but not least, and I think this probably applies mostly to Julie and Don, who have not seen much of the next season, if any of it. I know Riley and I have seen basically all of it before. But the Whovian gal says, moving forward to a season with three, but without the master and without Joe, what are you hoping to see? How do you want the show to adapt to the cast turnover? So I'll tackle the master first, because I think it's kind of separate between those two. The master dominated a couple of those seasons. I mean, I get it. He has the charisma and he was just a wonderful foil to the doctor. But I'd kind of like to go back to the basics of just finding the weird out there aliens that we've started to get a glimpse of those. But let's delve more into that and not seeing the same person over and over again. I hate to say monster of the week, but I kind of want to see alien of the week. You're speaking my language. So I still love my historicals, but I just, I know that there's no hope for me there. So I'm going to not dwell on that. So I'll move into the weird instead. As for no Joe, I want the next character to start stronger than Joe was allowed to. I'm not even going to say that she was. I'm going to say she was allowed to. So I'm hoping that it's not going to be another one of those instances where the doctor becomes a dick again. So fingers crossed. As much as I really love Delgado as the master, for a while there, I'm pretty sure he had his own unit ID badge <laughs> just to come and go. And any problem like, oh, no, someone ate all the donuts. It must be the master, like no matter what it was. So it will be nice to get back to kind of where the show was at the beginning, where they were trying new things, new monsters, new planets, new things. And with that comes a new companion. It'll be one that works well with this doctor and we can have some fun adventures with them. I don't think you guys will be that disappointed. 
Awesome. But we'll see. All right. Well, that is our final question. So with that, we're at the end of the episode. I think we've all enjoyed season 10. It's been solid. There's been nothing that's been crushingly bad in the way of a space pirate. There have even been some <laughs> outstanding moments through it. So looking forward to seeing where the show goes next. But as we're at the end of the episode, we will be back next time when we head back into the medieval period to encounter the Time Warrior as we kick off season 11. But in the meantime, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Terry Nation Bingo Card, was recorded on Wednesday the 4th of May 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available from wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, this was the season that finally gave us Welsh teeth in a podcast episode title. I've been waiting for this moment ever since Philip Maddock first graced our screens. Bliss.